Support for Pivot comes from Vanta. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated fast. Now, you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, and that platform is Vanta. Vanta's market-leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, you can save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. To learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews, watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash pivot. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash pivot to watch Vanta's on-demand demo. Support for the show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is obviously still recovering from New Year's, and he'll be back next week. But for today, I'm thrilled to have Audie Cornish, the host of CNN's The Assignment, as my co-host. Welcome, Audie. Hey, Kara. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. I'm I'm in awe of your talent and your various things that you've done uh, over well, the many years. I'm a years. big fan of you because of your interview style specifically. You're like well, we one both of those do people. interviews. We both do interviews, yeah, right? But you've got you've got a very distinctive style. Not interviewers have their own style. That's and, true. Um, and obnoxious. What is it? Like <laughs> casually cruel. Someone told me I was casually cruel. That's what I was called. Oh, I don't think that at all. I think I think I've talked to you about this in the past. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. have a way of dealing with men the way they deal with women and ah, it is disarming to them. And then the back and forth, it's like a totally different level. Like I I mean, oh, just wow. trust me, like I try and interrupt people sometimes and the way I have yeah. to do it. Yeah. It's completely different. And I sit there and listen to you and I'm like, oh my, I want to do it that way. Like, I oh, it's just called be ball like, busting. Ball yes, busting is how it it's is. used it to is. be. <laughs> so let me ask you, what is your style? What is your style with this new interview show? What are you hoping for with the assignment? Uh, the slow boil. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that I like, yeah, exactly. Well, one thing is I'm I'm starting from a place of empathy Mm-hmm. And not in the corny sense of that word, just the idea of I realize in a way I'm kind of retraining people how to listen. And if you listen to the first episode, you know, we talked to these school board members, they're conservative activists, and mm-hmm. they aren't used to anyone listening. Right. Which is their which is their thing, which is their their grievance, really. In the, but also, we're not used to listening and to sitting mm-hmm. through it and mm-hmm. to having follow up questions that aren't. Uh, this is the next question that has to be asked. But mm-hmm. you said something, and I want to know what you mean by that. Explain see, it more, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, my goal, in a way, is I don't want people to. What's the phrase? You want people to dislike someone for their best take, not mm-hmm. despise them for their worst take. Right, and right, right, right. I personally believe in a conversation, like for, in terms of what we do, mm-hmm. the idea is for people to give their best. Yeah, yes, yes, I, I agree. I agree <laughs> with that. I not a bunch of shouting that. in their worst argument, you know what I mean? Like that, right. who gains from that? So anyway, that's I how I think of it. Is that different at a cable network versus an NPR? Because in NPR, you have that time to roll things out. You exactly, know, it's you do, style. and we we tape way more. Live mm-hmm. interviews are a totally different ball game, and I, you've probably experienced that as well. Mm-hmm. One thing that happens, I think, in a breaking news environment versus an analysis environment or an environment mm-hmm. like you're in, there's a heavy emphasis on the turn of the screw, right? right? So the question of the day is like, will so-and-so get the vote? Mm-hmm. Instead of being like, why does it matter if they get that vote? What is the right. greater context? What does it matter to my life if they get mm-hmm. that vote? I think mm-hmm. that's, it, we've not we've not trained ourselves as cable news viewers mm-hmm. to want to sit through that level of inquiry. 
I think no, there's because a it's sense snackable. Of, you know, that's the nice way of saying it. I think it's reductive. I find yeah. it super reductive. I have a hard time going on it. Oh, you do. So tell me about this. I do lately because it's like give your idea in one point two seconds, and you're like, well, it's complicated. Like you know, when they go Elon Musk, good or bad, and you're like, um, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how people work. Yeah, which is interesting. Are you enjoying it? Are you? What's your favorite show so far? I I really love talking to the OnlyFans sex workers mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I think that's really at the intersection of a lot of things. The way Mm -hmm. modern feminism has turned prostitution into labor and Mm -hmm. and moved it under the umbrella of labor something in a way that, you know, a long-running movement, but like really getting it there because of the way the internet brought so many mainstream Mm -hmm. people onto it. Mm -hmm. Um, And hearing them talk about ways they were pushed out of the economy and into this Hmm. work. Wow. You know, one was a nurse. Like, people do this stuff because it's safe in your house, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, to take off your clothes, safe in your house, theoretically. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, we did one on journalism, and we had Maggie Haberman Mm -hmm. uh, from the New York Times. We had Margaret Sullivan, you know, who's a longtime Mm -hmm. public editor, and Jelani Cobb at Columbia. Mm -hmm. And everyone... It's a classic episode of The Assignment in that everyone hated it just based on its name in the list of the guests. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're very con- – yeah, well, especially yeah. Maggie has been in the center of controversy. But that's kind of the point of the show. It's like if you yeah. want to take the time to listen a little more, it's worth the listen. Yeah. People do not listen. You're absolutely correct. I think that's true. Yeah. I, I, I believe in people when I started this show, and then let's get to the news in a second. But when I started the show, they were like, you have to make it shorter. And I said, I, I trust people can listen. I, I honestly, substance is what people are dying for. Exactly. What they're not dying for is these like reductive bullshit takes and they're tired of it and you're making them stupider. So And trust is built. You've built trust, right? Like yeah. you have built trust over the years. And so people, when they turn on your podcast, we're here to spend time with you, right? right. And well, experience <laughs> your point of view and way of the world. No, it is. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I'm not listening to yeah. any random, oh, tech sounds good. Like, I want to hear yeah. your take. And I think yeah. uh, I've, I've learned to embrace that because I think before I thought that that was a kind of like branding and self aggrandizing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, mm-hmm. no one wants to spend time with me. They'd be like, you should have right, a newsletter. Right. And I would be like, what? Right. Who cares? Who cares what I no, think? No, no. We care what you think, Audie. Anyway, I tuned out on the news for a few weeks because I had heart surgery. And so I just turned everything off, which was fantastic. Well, congratulations, because you're standing, heart beating, looking good. Oh, I was it was a minor surgery. It was fascinating because many years yeah. ago, I talked about this already. I had I, it would have been open heart surgery, but now it went through my leg. I was out of the of the building that afternoon. It was crazy. Incredible. And I have now have a cyborg heart, which is great, which I'm That's very amazing. excited about. Yeah. And so I really are, are am paying attention because the news is back again, really, in a lot of ways. And the Republicans today, we're going to talk about the Republicans can't elect a leader. We'll talk about the mess in Congress, what it means for legislation. Also, the European Union makes Meta feel the brunt of their tech regulations. And we'll hear from a listener about media bias, which I think this is great for you to be here to talk about yeah, this. perfect. But first, another one of Sam Bankman-Fried's former allies is cooperating with investigators. Something Scott and I said would happen. Obviously, everyone's dropping a dime on uh, SBF, um, the company's t- ex-top uh, lawyer, providing details about what was done with customer funds, basically stolen, it sounds like. Bankman-Fried is set to go on trial in October and could face up to 115 years if convicted after pleading not guilty to eight counts of criminal charges. He's currently out on $250 million bail, which is a lot. Um, his co-founder, Gary Wang, and Alameda Research CEO, Carolyn Ellison, are both cooperating with prosecutors. Any thoughts on this? Uh, like, what's happening here? It seems like he's going to jail. It seems like he's on a quick, quicker ride than Elizabeth Holmes, but that's where he's headed. Well, it doesn't help that he gave a round of interviews on the way there, mm-hmm. right? Effectively, no. like no one asked no. you to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but it probably speaks to the Icarus nature, you know, of this particular story and the hubris mm-hmm. involved, right? Mm-hmm. If you actually mm-hmm. start to believe your own press, and if you actually start to believe that you are sort of philosophically doing some good, even as you're very clearly doing something that is not good, mm-hmm. uh, that's going to come back and bite you, you know, in this phase of things. My question going ahead is how many more people will be charged? I just right. don't believe that one person 
did all this. A lot of people signed checks. A lot of mm-hmm. people moved the period on zeros. Uh, and right. a lot of people operated in in his fear. And um, I just, I'm curious to hear how it all worked, so to speak, right? Not, right. Well, they're, why all, this they're lawyer, all, you know, dime dropping. That's what they're doing. Exactly. They're going for, like, Carolyn Ellison's right in the, uh, up in the middle of this. And I yeah. assume they're giving her a certain thing. Same thing with Gary Wang. Yeah. Uh, but I, lots it's like of I, wanna, I want the full picture, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially because mm-hmm. I think it'll help us understand better what to look for in the future with these exchanges. Mm-hmm. Like there's yeah. no way this di- a digital currency can mainstream the way its proponents want Mm-hmm. If the very ba- if it still feels like a financial instrument and a toy, I just interviewed Tony Fidel, who was actually the creator of the iPod, and he's been doing a lot of crypto ba- uh, wallets and stuff. And he still feels it's still a viable industry in certain ways as the as an identity, a way to do identity and move anything exactly. from contracts to money to whatever. In this case, I think this is just a simple case of a liar. And I think this idea that he thinks he was going to do the world good, I think he was very cynically went around and gave money to politicians and media and uh, did this whole altruistic whatever yes. charity, whatever the fuck. I, I never yeah. could understand The it. bros will like, come what? at me, but I definitely, it felt like a scam. It felt like mm-hmm. the plot of Glass Onion. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. like... Yeah, the Glass some, Onion. <laughs> did you yeah, see just that? <laughs> the Glass Onion billionaire, you know. But yeah. we're seeing more of this archetype in pop culture, which mm-hmm. I only mention because the movies, et cetera, are art. That's where we start to paint a picture about how we really feel about certain mm-hmm. figures in our culture. And the billionaire right. is taking a hit right now, not just right. as like the nasty guy or something like that, mm-hmm. but as a mm-hmm. BS artist. And I think right. that that is a very interesting development culturally, mm-hmm. and it does have effects for something like crypto, right? Because now right, it's got right. to overcome this sort of public distrust. Uh, right. And it needs the public because if it wants to be decentralized, like we all mm-hmm. have to sign on to it. Right. A hundred percent. We'll see what happens here. I think he's going to jail. I don't I don't see how he doesn't go yeah, to jail. Yeah, for sure. So. Why not? <laughs> he's made off over and over. It's the same yeah. story. And it's also and very end. straightforward. And I think it's a good lesson for the crypto world, because if you want to play the big boy finance game, Mm-hmm. Then you you also have to play by some rules too because yep. all this is done before you know there were runs right. on banks we had the Great Depression like right. it's not as though we don't know how currency can work and how it can fail and you don't defy the laws of gravity. What was interesting he was trying for legit he was you know saying oh please legislate he was one of the few which is why politicians were attracted to him. W- was he or was he using it as an excuse to make donations? <laughs> yeah, yes, that's correct. I. They're so easy. They're so absolutely easy to deal yeah. with. It's regulators. Well. Speaking of Glass Onion Billionaire, it actually, Ed Norton played that part in a very funny movie. Brilliantly. Really, uh, Janelle Monet was fantastic. Everyone was great in that movie, actually. Yeah. What am I saying? Which um, has, or have you noticed there's a bunch of people who hate that movie? Why? Yes, I know it's Ben Shapiro, so that means it's fantastic. So, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Yeah, it was this is great. Funny. I, I did watch it because I'm open minded. I'm like, okay, didn't like it. Why? It's it was great. I thought it was great. I don't know. I don't know if you did or not. I thought uh, you know, it's funny. Fun. I didn't care for the first one because I didn't get it. I was like right. Daniel Craig doing this accent. Like, what is yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then. Um, and then the second one, for some reason, appealed to me more, maybe because it was much more you're in on the joke of like, okay, this is just clue the movie uh, and the journey's the destination and just have fun. And it's a good, good, you know, well-executed thing for what it is. And I think that's good. After a decade of like puzzle box Mm anti-hero pop culture entertainments, you know, like Westworld Mm -hmm. or like Breaking Bad or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I can't watch that. I cannot watch that. Yeah, I think everyone's just like, yeah, I just want to see something that has a beginning, middle and end. And it's just amusing. Yeah. It was a romp. It was a very funny romp. You know, speaking of the glass on your billion, he was actually based, Ed Norton based it on Elon Musk, that's obviously. And he's off yes. to a rough start this year. He's become the first person ever to raise 200 Billion dollars from his net worth, which is a lot of money. Fidelity's value of his stake in Twitter is down by 56%. That's, I think that's being kind also. That's after recent drops in Tesla stock, including 11% drop on Tuesday after deliveries fell short. That's been down even higher. The, the, the Tesla stock dropped 65% in total in 2022 due to production disruptions, concerns around demand, and of course, Elon Musk's Twitter distraction. 
what do you think about that? I don't think we've ever talked about it. What is your take on what's going to no, happen? No, no, we haven't. I mean, it's funny watching mythologies because mm-hmm. I do feel like the tech industry of one of just true self-mythologizing mm-hmm. is just key yep. to the whole enterprise. Watching those break down in real time. Um, and these are a lot of self-owns, you know, as the young say. Like, yeah. nothing that has happened to Elon Musk in the last six months had to happen to Elon Musk. No, nothing, nothing. No, he did it himself. Yeah, every single part of it. Even, let's face it, Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, like— that is nothing. None of that <laughs> had right. to happen at the scale it did, at the speed no. it did, in the way mm-hmm. it did. Right. And the the faltering of it is just, you know, it happens. It's a cell phone. Yeah. It's Someone asked me just recently why, you know, I had been not, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk. I was very impressed with, with Tesla, what he was doing at Tesla and what he was making. And it's obviously several years ahead of other car makers, though everybody's catching up. And the yes. SpaceX stuff is impressive. And someone's like, what's your name? I'm like, he changed rather quickly. And he sort of showed some a fate, a side of himself that's really unattractive. Now, we had covered the issues, uh, the, 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 the allegations of racism at the factories. I yeah, don't you feel like this into- was always there? It's there. Yes, exactly. We, had, you know, he and I got into a big beef about COVID. Um, when I was in, he tried to walk out on an interview when I said he was wrong about COVID because he was sort of being very cavalier and saying it was going to go away. And he was forcing uh, people into work and, and driving regulators crazy around that. And yes, it's sort of he, one of the people I interviewed said he was 90% fine and 10% kind of crazy like this. And now that crazy part is yeah, taken over. I suspect and that was, ratio was a little. That was a generous ratio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was someone who worked with him. I think it's different when you run a private company Mm -hmm. and you are self-contained and no one Mm -hmm. really knows what you're doing. I mean, let's be honest. Like, I know everyone has their mythologies about how Teslas were made and the production. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was bad at first and then it was good. And instead of really talking Mm -hmm. about what it means to get to that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's Interesting that Twitter is the thing that has mm-hmm. undermined him because it speaks to the the like uh, oddball nature of this media slash public infrastructure slash private forum company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not you can't make Twitter in private because you, me, we're the creators. We're making right. the car. So you right. can't tell us to sleep in the office. You can't tell us to do any of this mm-hmm. stuff. And as it turned out, he couldn't right. even tell the employees really to do that. So he weirdly met his match with media. Are you using it a lot less? Are you a ha- heavy user of Twitter? I was a heavy user when I very first started covering Congress because it was mm-hmm. a little quieter and smaller mm-hmm. then. And it was mm-hmm. almost like a second newsroom. We can talk mm-hmm. about that later because I think that mm-hmm. is we a are. huge yeah. issue in terms of media bias. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, I realized like, oh, this is a topic toxic nightmare but um this is what y- this is where you can spread word about your stories this mm-hmm. is where you can be in mm-hmm. a dialogue about the news of the day and that there's sure. value in that and i especially love the way um a whole raft of commentators mm-hmm. who could never come up writing a column at a newspaper or whatever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. were suddenly there Right. They were they were writers. You know, we we mm-hmm. can hear from a Jelani Cobb or a Zerlina mm-hmm. Maxwell or a Wes Lowry or mm-hmm. a Roxanne Gay who never, you know, mm-hmm. where would she be without this weird platform that just sort of rocketed her mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to the public consciousness? And even mm-hmm. the way it opened up the dialogue for black and brown communities. I mean, mm-hmm. I have yeah. thoughts about the obligatory black Twitter weekend clickbait story mm-hmm. that most news organizations default to now. But what it means is instead of a, some old editor being like, you should go to yeah. a barber shop. Like, yeah. What right. do the blacks think? Like, tick, tick, right. tick. Let's call this church. <laughs> Did you ever have an editor that said that to you? Yeah, you have to. Oh, the Obama campaign? That is uh, how yeah. that is how we were all treated oh, as marginalized groups. It was like, yeah. you need yeah. to do a black voter story. You're going to go to a church. Yeah. You're going to go to a barbershop. Yeah. And if yeah. you get spicy, <laughs> you're going to go to a hair salon. Oh, and your wow. editor with a straight face would assign you something like this. Oh, no. And oh, and God. now it could be like, or you could kind of like hear this dialogue happening very publicly, yeah. Yeah. hear the and, factions. Anyway, I'm ranting, okay. but yeah, I think please. it had its use. It's very, it was a private-public partnership. Mm-hmm. And once the private part, as we saw with Elon, took over, mm-hmm. 
it's done. Yeah. That equilibrium was really thrown off. Yeah, I feel that. I haven't. I wasn't on it for weeks. I really, I mean, except for in a very small way. It's crazy. And I'm fine. It's, I, I'm perfectly fine. I feel like I have a lot more time for sure. But you're right. It was a newsroom. We'll get to that in a second because I've actually yeah. used it more for this Kevin uh, McCarthy thing. Yes. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens to it. Lastly, a lot of tech layoffs. Amazon will cut over 18,000 jobs. It had hired like crazy. They had previously announced 10,000 job cuts. Um, it's the largest tech layoff. I'm obsessed Salesforce. with this story. Not just yeah, them, but cut. yes, you said layoffs yeah. in general. Yeah. Right. The Salesforce is cutting 10% of its staff, which is around 8,000 people, cutting back on office space. They just had this huge tower in San Francisco they built right before this all happened. A listener wrote us this morning. She said her wife was laid off at Salesforce this week and took a day of emailing up the managerial chain to get clearance about what was going on. She went on to say, people speak highly of Mark Benioff when it comes to being good and empathetic leader. I can attest to that as our family has gained a lot from Salesforce fertility and same-sex parent benefits. But the current change in C-level leadership and poorly executed layoff is so Salesforce facing something more than just an economic downturn. It seems like there's something going on with leadership. There is. By the way, Salesforce is a sponsor, but it's really, we've talked about this quite a bit, like with Brett Taylor leaving and others leaving. It's it, There's something going on there. And at all these companies are really seeing economic contractions affect them, which never did with tech companies. They were able to hire like crazy. Amazon hired 500,000 people during the pandemic. One year, I think. Yeah. 2021. Why are you fascinated with it? Because during the pandemic, the quarantines led to a bunch of consumer behavior that people mm-hmm. mistook for long-term behavior. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and obviously I've experienced this, right, entering the streaming world. It was like never-ending growth. There's only more subscribers. There's only more people who are going to want to go into the Meta Mall. There's only more right. people who are going to want to order on Amazon. <laughs> TM? Like, Is that your yeah. name? Meta Mall? Hey, go ahead. Exactly. Uh, it was this like... I don't know. People actually sat in boardrooms and were like, this is how we're going to live now, which I understand. There were moments of the pandemic mm-hmm. where I was like, I guess I'm going to be in my house with a baby. Like, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. never going to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when we didn't leave the house, I guess, I mean, when we, once the quarantines ended, mm-hmm. I've been a little surprised at how these companies have been shocked, shocked mm-hmm. that things have changed for them. And I've been a little disappointed that the media has conflated these really high flyers and their, frankly, readjustment to reality Mm -hmm. with the economy as a whole. Right. Because people do have jobs. People's wages Mm -hmm. are better. And Mm -hmm. I just I'm not sure that like a company that that hired as much as Amazon did having to Mm -hmm. contract is a sign Mm -hmm. that the whole economy is bad. Like it's just a sign that I left my house. And right, I buy right. things at Although the store. Although I do think people did start to do practices that they didn't do. I definitely use delivery more than I used Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Uh, and but clearly I definitely, not as much, right? No, not as Amazon much. No, like right. Layoffs. But I, I definitely do less office stuff. I think it moved, it accelerated trends that were happening anyway. And now it's starting to shake out. It accelerated right? like trends, the, but it also minted billionaires. And yeah, it yeah. pushed yeah. some companies into places that were not yeah. sustainable. Yeah. No, they're, they, I mean, they, that's they, my, they, they, they not, I'm not some socialist. So big. Yeah. But it's just Sorry, like, guys. No, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm not some, you know, progressive socialist here. It's just like, mm-hmm. no, like, yeah, you're not. There's only so many people in the country. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Well, we'll see where it goes. This, they're not used to this. The numbers are crazy. The, the stocks are off like by massive amounts, anywhere from, you know, Microsoft, I think, is in the 20s to exactly. 80% for Snapchat. But the stock it's, market it's is really, not the economy. And I think not, I spend a lot not. of times when I talk to people um, just as a journalist, I have to say, like, let's be clear, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. obviously, they are linked, but they are not mm-hmm. one and the same. And it's very easy for the news cycle about, it's very easy for point. the business news cycle to tell mm-hmm. regular Americans that things are going sideways. Um, and it's not, to- it's maybe wobbly, but it's not fully sideways. Right, exactly. Speaking of, let's get to our first big story. 
is the House of Representatives the government? That's the question. And it doesn't the House seem to doesn't be. doesn't exist. Yeah, one, one third of our constitutional democracy <laughs> exactly. is, uh, is uh, off taking line. a break. Uh, like, like a used Toyota Corolla, the U.S. House of Representatives <laughs> still lacks a speaker. Uh, As we record this, the House has voted six times. They may have voted a seventh while we're sitting here. No, I, they meet at noon. That's no, right. they've got Kevin McCarthy's go. vote is shrinking. He started with 203 votes from fellow Republicans and dropped to 201. Even if they elect a speaker after we finish this episode, the chaos still matters. So let's talk about it. I, you covered Congress. Let, just tell us what is going on here. This seems chaotic. And all it is is people showing pizzas being brought in. And I'm tired of the pizza pizza discussion. Pizza they kept shots. doing, look, there's pizzas. Like, this, yeah. can you give us some That's news? That's really a the sign that all the journalists are hungry. So yeah, it's like okay. a camera Great. guy being like, when am I cut? <laughs> I don't care. So what what is going on here? Give us a, a like a an overview of what you, you know, this sort of chaos yeah. caucus, the Freedom Caucus uh, and exactly. what's going on. And, and, um, and McCarthy keeps giving in to them. So uh, in a nutshell, just in terms of the McCarthy story itself, mm-hmm. essentially after the House majority went to Republicans, they mm-hmm. were, yay, we're victorious, but of course, it was only by a handful of votes. And right. that means that all kinds of things were going to be difficult, or you'd have mm-hmm. to get Democrats to sign on, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that was mm-hmm. that conversation was already brewing. But in the background and in the meantime, you had not all of it, but some core members of what is known as the House Freedom Caucus, mm-hmm. who we're starting to say this is our chance because the mm-hmm. margin is so narrow. We right. will have leverage to as a small group, as a small group. ask for things. And the reason why I'm saying as a small group is because you, it's five or six people who are like never Kevin's. They call themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's like one or two who kind of yesterday were like, "I'm tired. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm gonna. Like to get we're just to, gonna. I'd vote like to be for, paid. Yeah. Next week like, they I'm, don't I'm, get paid. They don't get and, paid next week. But go ahead. Exactly. Uh, no one does. By the way, like I think the whole hill. Mm-hmm. Yes. Never staff. mind that there aren't security briefings going on right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never mind that anyone who tells you they're a congressman right now is like technically wrong because they mm-hmm. haven't been sworn in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are, like I said, a massive self-own. Mm-hmm. And I think Kevin McCarthy, who I've talked about this a lot, has watched every major Republican leader of the last 20 years go down in flames. So mm-hmm. Gingrich, Boehner, Paul Ryan, I'm going to count mm-hmm. Eric Cantor as majority leader. Sure. Um yeah. Every one of these people were felled by the early iterations of what we now call Trumpism, but mm-hmm. obviously came to the public's consciousness with the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. And he thought he would be the guy <laughs> to right. wrangle them, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? Like he would genuflect mm-hmm. to Trump enough. He would build those relationships enough and he would make them happy. So even though he was a hard core establishment guy. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean the one of the group of young guns, they called themselves, of which Paul mm-hmm. Ryan, et cetera, were part of it. They were going to be a new generation of hotshot Republicans. Yeah. And now they're down to this one pea shooter. You know what I mean? They're like, I don't want this one guy. What's interesting is I'm watching a little bit of Twitter and other places. They're calling him like a rhino, although Fox News is backing him, which is interesting, you know, and yes. yelling at, at the little yeah. group of I've been of joking chaos that cop. Fox News is now the Kevin McCarthy of right-wing yeah. media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happens here? I mean, the dynamics of this small group, it seems to me like I know uh, Stephanie Rule interviewed Lauren Boebert. If you haven't seen it, it's hysterical. Just it was Stephanie's amazing. facial expressions. Watched it live. Today, you're backing Byron Donalds as speaker. He's got 20 votes. You think that guy's getting to 218 tomorrow? I uh, know that there are many of our colleagues who are cheering us on silently um, and silently voting for won't Kevin help, McCarthy. Ma'am. 218 oh, we're, votes. We're going to get there. Gonna... Yeah, it was like I it was incredible. It was sent incredible. Them to her in yeah. real time, I'm like, what the fuck? Derp! Like, all the all the different <laughs> expressions. Derg, blerg, and so she was nonsensical. Like she, I don't understand what she was saying in half the time. But what I what I did come away with was like. They don't care. They don't care that they're making trouble, and they can continue to make trouble, even though 
there's more than two, you know, he doesn't have enough votes, but he has a lot of votes, right? But this small group of people can keep him out of office, which presents all kinds of opportunities in lots of ways. Does he have any other choice but to continue to give in? Because he'll anger the rest of the caucus, right? Because right. they're mad too, but they're not going to, they're going to keep voting for him no matter what. I mean, the, I think Correct. the history you have to remember for all these people is, and as a country, we went through this before. 2015, mm-hmm. kind of 2014, the government shutdowns, these mm-hmm. like weird precipice votes where mm-hmm. all of these people who claim to be fiscal hawks would say, we can't spend this amount of money. Mm-hmm. We can't raise the debt ceiling so the government can spend more. We can't, we can't, we can't. And it was like mm-hmm. a personality, you know, it was a whole identity. Then Trump comes along and they're like, well, actually, maybe fine. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, Mark Meadows, who had been in the House Freedom Caucus, becomes a, a key part of the Trump Orbit, et cetera, mm-hmm. Mick Mulvaney. A lot of these people who were part of this mm-hmm. founding, Ron DeSantis, mm-hmm. were, came out of the House Freedom Caucus, okay? Right. It is a right. political identity. And mm-hmm. I think they're fighting for their survival a little bit after mm-hmm. Trump's uh, faltering with the midterms. And by that, right. I mean the Trump brand is, is dinged. Mm-hmm through a variety of reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. But now the rubber has met the road through the ballot. Voting, right. Through voting. And mm-hmm. f- there are there are a couple more Trump-backed candidates that would have been in the House, right? Like if mm-hmm. uh, the red wave materialized, that weren't. And mm-hmm. so I think now these people are in the House. They're realizing like, oh, well, wait a second. The tide could be turning a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. This is our last chance. We got to we got to solidify our power where we can. So they're mm-hmm. they're arguing ostensibly for these rules changes, and they want to have more participation and blah blah blah. But also mm-hmm. note, they want specific committee assignments, right? Assignments mm-hmm. that yeah. will be helpful and powerful for them. They also mm-hmm. have asked the the leadership to not jump in on future election and future races mm-hmm. that are open safe Republican seats. So translation, Mm -hmm. the next time a Republican seat is open and safe, don't get in there because we Mm -hmm. know that if one Mm -hmm. of our guys get in there, there's a good chance a Trumpist will Mm -hmm. win that primary vote and that that person is the person who will advance. Whereas if you jump in and bring in your moderate or bring in your whatever, your establishment Mm -hmm. and come talk about election deniers, our numbers mm-hmm. will be smaller. So there is a way that they're kind of there's an existential conversation that is buried underneath pizza boxes. <laughs> That's a really smart analysis. So what will happen, though? What will happen is Kevin McCarthy wants to wait them out. I mean, all the clowns, essentially, Matt Gates, yeah. And then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene against them, which is sort of like, what is happening with this? I don't know. I mean, Kevin McCarthy is going to probably snap into a Slim Jim, right, as we learned mm-hmm. from Nancy Pelosi, get his energy mm-hmm. up, and he's going mm-hmm. to wait them out. Because if there's one thing we have learned from this group over the last couple of years, they have nothing to lose, and they will wait. Every mm-hmm. day that it goes longer is another cable news hit for them. It's mm-hmm. another day they can tell a constituent that they stuck it to Kevin and mm-hmm. Mitch and the swamp. Mm-hmm. And that is their gain. That is their reward. So they're so not go. being, yeah, they're not like, but what about governing? Like, they're not right. in it for that. I think there's right. a way people kind of forget that. Because there's also this fantasy that Hakeem Jeffries will become speaker, like that six Republicans pe- hey. peel off. Not a fantasy. Not a fantasy. I mean, right now, Google okay. in Pennsylvania, this something similar yeah. happened, and there's now a, like, unity <laughs> speaker. Yeah. So it's possible for people to function like normal human political beings and find mm-hmm. a solution. It won't happen here, but just mm-hmm. know that an actual model exists right now in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I think Kevin is going to absolutely wait it out. He's going to... He's working the phones. There's one or two people he's going to finally peel off. But the problem is, what is it going to take to get there? What do you have to give away to get there? And the other thing about the rules people should understand is by the time you give away so much power, Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. is the speakership anymore? Is it just symbolic? Because mm-hmm. now you've set yourself up where any two or four or one person can raise their hand and challenge your leadership. This mm-hmm. puts us in a British situation, you know, right, where right, right. it's no confidence votes and it's this and it's that. And it's like mm-hmm. nobody is actually running the thing. Right. They're always watching their back. Yes. Yeah. And people need to remember Nancy Pelosi did this. Small majority, mm-hmm. challenging group. 
and look at what she was able to pass. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is so like, what's the difference? What is I love her. I got to tell you, every time she does a little hit and they she's like, I don't know. I chill. did it in stilettos. I she's don't know what to chill. tell you, Kevin. And backwards. Right. Like, yeah, right. She exactly. did it. And on top of that, Hakeem Jeffries is getting like three days of sustained commercial See? time where people right. just get up and say how great he is. Yes, <laughs> this exactly. Is completely he's hilarious. He said some good quotes himself. Yeah. Democrats. So, so what are happens? Excited. Where does it where does it end? Because they can't they, they don't want to govern, too. Right. They're also like. We, we need to actually get in here and do stuff. Well, yes, what is, do. Does that mean chaos for the next two years or does it mean an I mean, opportunity for Democrats not to get together much. with Republicans? Yeah, I think arguably not that much would have happened no matter what. Like even if he mm-hmm. just took over as speaker and they just mm-hmm. went on their merry way, it would just be a lot of investigations into Hunter Biden's laptop and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would see a right. ton of legislation. ESG investing. Yes. And, and I mean, a good way of thinking about this is where was Mitch McConnell? Well, mm-hmm. Mitch McConnell the last couple of days has like been in photo ops with Biden, you you know, mm-hmm. because he got spending in Kentucky. So mm-hmm. he's perfectly capable of getting things done that meet his needs and the mm-hmm. set through the Senate without mm-hmm. the House at all. They effectively right. took themselves out of the process. I right. think going forward, there is a chance that another candidate will, will come forward or that there's another option like a Steve Scalise. People have talked a mm-hmm. lot about him. And I think the only way you'll know that's happening is if mm-hmm. someone gets up and does it kind of without Kevin McCarthy's blessing. Mm -hmm. Because now a couple votes in, there are Mm -hmm. votes that are going to be just about showing everyone in the room where the support is. Right, right. Right. right like, when, but when is the 200 going to say we're going to someone else? That's who has to do it, right? Not the 20 or the 20 has got to convince the 200 no, to come no, along. It's, it could. I mean, uh, 200 aren't going to bolt. They just don't like mm-hmm. these folks enough. Right. Like Matt mm-hmm. Gates is not like a popular figure. Yeah, right. In the right. house. Oh, there is so right. much of this that's personality driven. Right. Um, Lauren right. Boebert, not super popular. Um, right. And unfortunately for Kevin McCarthy, not super pot like they're just people who mm-hmm. do not like him and so right. i think it does matter what these handful of people choose because right. they can also make trouble going down the road and i think the real question oh, now will. that now that democrats have seen this mm-hmm. how are they going to play the next mm-hmm. year or two right like mm-hmm. do they feel like oh we got to just stay in line no matter what because that's where our mm-hmm. leverage is are there going to be some cinema types you know just joking mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. like are there going to be some figures who say oh well i have more leverage to pass things now because the republicans are so desperate that there's mm-hmm. just five or six votes they need to get something done i actually right. think this affects their calculus in a way that they right. didn't expect they knew it would be yeah. a mess they didn't know it would be a hot mess so give me a prediction, and then we're going to get to our next story about how long it's going to take. There are no predictions. This is no not this. No, it's too many. It's like trying to make a prediction about a room full of cats. Like, which one will come out on top? Like, I don't know, but there's going to be a lot of scratches. Like, I don't know. <laughs> is that an old congressional thing to say? Uh, I just make it up. Just like in politics, yeah. we say, no, it, it's yeah. not. Um, but it's I do, I, I think people need to understand this is unusual. Yeah. Period. This does not happen. Period. Yeah. But they're so used to hearing us say that coming out of the Trump yeah. era that right. it's hard right. to grok right. just how weird this right. this should have been right. the easiest vote of the entire year. Right. Period. Right. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're slowly. I think eventually they'll make progress. I mean, I, they have to. Right. They've been, they've been in these talks discussing things. Um, they've also already shown impatience, you know, yep. and this is one of those stories, no matter what reporters tell you who are like, my sources say this is the kind of story where everything is playing out kind of in in front of the cameras. Yes. Right. right? Yes, because that's everyone who's complaining is just going out and being like, I'm pissed because of this. I'm pissed because of that. And he needs to give me this and that. Right. So it's not quiet negotiation. It's, it's not, not quiet. really. I mean, is stuff happening behind closed doors? Sure. But will mm-hmm. we see the result of that fairly quickly? Yes. Yeah, I would. I would agree with you. I would absolutely agree with you. Anyway, let's go on a quick break. We'll see what happens. Good luck, uh, Lauren Boebert. We'll see what goes <laughs> on with you. When we come back, we'll be talk about how European Union is coming for Meta and take some listener mail. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. 
If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Audie, we're back with our second big story. The European Union says Meta must pay for privacy violations. Not a surprise. Regulators say that Facebook and Instagram violated the EU's landmark tech regulation, the GDPR. The EU ruled the social network's terms of service, forced users to agree to data collection for personalized ads. Now regulators have fined the social networking giant more than $400 million. Meta says it will strongly disagree with it and will appeal. Again, this is Europe now regulating U.S. companies, which the U.S. government, which because it's not functioning, has not been able to do for a long, long time. And wouldn't. Wouldn't. They're not at anywhere near where the mm-hmm. EU regulatory mm-hmm. infrastructure mm-hmm. is when it comes to tech, period. Yeah. When is our Congress going to get in here in the way the GDPR? Now, they may appeal and the court isn't telling Meta how to fix it, but it's, it is taking the lead on privacy. The two things that are taking the lead are Europe and Apple. Yeah. I mean, I would love your opinion on this. I think there is a very, very deep connection between um, the Republican and even just American mm-hmm. capitalist sense of like protect innovation at all costs. Yeah. Versus I, the I European sensibility about these things. I think they can't get around the European Union. They they don't care. They don't, you know. This oh, is, no. I mean, it, in terms of us ever regulating. Like, I no, just don't. No, I don't. Ever, I mean, look, Amy yeah. Klobuchar's bills went nowhere, right? They're yeah. sort of sitting there. Um, they were sitting there and didn't pass in this last or session. Or talk to a kid so. about TikTok being regulated. Right. They're right. just like, yeah. what? You know, to the right. barricades. Like That might be- come sooner because of because uh, of the Committee on Foreign Relations in the U.S. That that may have some teeth to it. And because uh, here. Republicans are yeah. very deeply invested in this battle with China. Like it yeah, is directly exactly. tied into some philosophical underpinnings going on right mm-hmm. now. Not Ag- so much agreed. them being like privacy is important. <laughs> agreed. And I think I, yeah. I think there's no regulation. of U.S. is no, nowhere on this regulation. No. And also, by the way, they're also helping. Donald Trump could get back his Facebook and Instagram accounts. He was banned indefinitely after January 6th, which I never liked indefinite. What is it? Either ban them or don't. Yeah, there was some sort of cowardice to that. Meta shortened the ban to two years. Um, after the oversight board, they tried to send it over the oversight board. They're like, it's your decision. Um, it's going to be made soon by Nick Clegg, who is not Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Twitter's bringing back political advertising on the platform. Political ads have been banned there since 2019. Yep. So, so they're, they're not going to be regulated in any way and they're going back to their practices, I think. This is well, yeah, but we it's are. also hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube or whatever, right? Like they've already entered the political sphere in this way. They've already, mm-hmm. they've literally become a place for organizing. Mm-hmm. Re- rebellion movements, right? Like January right, 6th. Right. That's like a organized on social media. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And I think yeah. their attempt to sort of say like, well, we're not going to get into the moderating anymore. It's, it's they've just struggled. They all struggle right. with this. You know this. They don't want they want to be the size of a country, but they don't want to create infrastructure or roads or any or safety like they don't want to do any of that they just want the yeah. the money part yeah and without any government regulation they're not going to do anything yeah, great i mean look, power look, look, great responsibility all of that they don't care. They this don't want week, it. Anti-vaxxers on Twitter tried to link the collapse of NFL player Demar Hamlin to COVID vaccine, and no one did anything about it, which was ridiculous. Which was he had a 
he was hit in the heart. He got a, yeah. whatever it's called. But a that's coma. where I actually feel optimism because mm-hmm. while the places where that conspiracy boil is always simmering, mm-hmm. I feel like the rest of us and like kind of more mainstream America mm-hmm. and I, in your regular person's Facebook was not mm-hmm. so quick to jump on that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the mm-hmm. last couple of years, we've all been so burned by social media, either mm-hmm. by its hmm. its bosses, right? Like mm-hmm. It, uh, mm-hmm. faltering on the philosophy yeah. and the image and or watching what happened with the elections, watching mm-hmm. what's happened in some of our own families where you like try right. and have a conversation with someone who has right. educated themselves in online conspiracy patois like mm-hmm. we're all different and i think we're more reluctant now to let these things come to a boil that's what i hope that's interesting. and that's yeah. what i thought coming out of the election you know just with mm-hmm. the election deniers getting the door slammed in their face right. it was people being like i'm tired like i am tired that, of this i would agree and i'm done I would agree. Although I do think these privacy regulations are critically important that we have not. They Antitrust are. and privacy regulations seem to me to be the lowest bar our government can put in in terms of how these companies operate. And Yeah, and I don't want to rely on Apple. I don't want to rely on... But you do rely on Apple. Apple is who you're relying ex- on to do exactly. this. Exactly. Any over-under on Donald Trump getting back Instagram? I think he's getting them back. I think they're going to get them back. I, I sort of have bigger questions about what his quote-unquote campaign is doing. Right. <laughs> like, right? Like, you can tell us. Where is he? What is he yeah. talking about? He's what does he care about? According to Olivia Nuzzi. He's saying that mar Yeah, but like, Cokes. he's on truth. So, like, he's not even acting like a candidate. Mm-hmm. He's not even acting like his, his version of acting like a candidate. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's all the legal stuff, blah, blah, blah. But he's different. And right. I can't even, and the social media question is important because it was so mm-hmm. key to who to the building of him as a candidate. And with that infrastructure all messy and crumbly, he's struggling. Yeah. You know, it really does prove how reliant he was on it. I think putting him off for those two years has rendered him less powerful on those platforms. Yes. So And that's what's so wild about the people who are like, you got to bring him back um, Mm -hmm. and who have made it this free speech cause mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. It's, it means they looked in the face of January 6th and they said, look, you got to break some eggs, <laughs> you know, for, for free speech. Like, things, that's things you just got to. And it's like, uh, OK, I don't know how to argue with that. Yeah, it's true. Well, I think they're probably going to let them on. I think I don't know what, what yeah. other decision they can make if they don't. If Elon Musk had not bought Twitter, he, they would have not let him on because why cause any? Just they just yeah. said we made a decision that it? we threw him off. That's what it is. In this case, it, calling it indefinite was a problem. Like they should yeah. have either thrown him off or not thrown him off or given him two years and then said you're back on in two years. And if you violate again, we'll kick you off for good. That something very simple. It's like dealing with kids. It's like dealing like <laughs> you know maybe I'll. Can I ask you what this decision or sure. others in recent months? make you mm-hmm. think about the direction for Zuckerberg and him specifically. He's not interested at all. Yeah, like, where is he? Is he just, like, uh, exiting? He's interested in the metaverse. He's not interested in running this, the, the real business anymore. So you're saying he's That's not why. of this earth anymore? Yes, he's, he's not. He's <laughs> in the metaverse. Yeah, he's tired of it. It's exhausting, and he's not very good at it. And so... Yeah, but does that mean, like, Trump's in the metaverse? You know what I mean? Like, where does yeah. he... He's trying to make the metaverse happen. We'll see. He's giving... He's he's handed a major decision over to someone else. So that's... that's you know, he's he doesn't want to deal with the with the fallout of it. So he doesn't want his name next to it. Yeah. Sheryl Sandberg's left the building, actually yep. left the building. And so they're exactly. all like, oh, I've had enough of this. And it is exhausting on some level, unless you establish rules from the beginning, like they did at Reddit. Actually, mm-hmm. if you want to talk to a smart person, talk to Steve Huffman at Reddit. They changed many years ago because they knew, and he fi- he just said, I'm throwing off malevolent players. That's it. Like he didn't like he didn't sit and, and, and Hamlet the whole thing. He just said, this is our <laughs> rules. If you like it, if you like it, great. Yeah. If you don't, you're okay. And there, here's what we're doing. I don't know. Let's pivot to a listener question, though. You've got, you've got, I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You, you, you've got mail. The question comes from Janine DeNoves on Twitter. As a journalist, how does Audie Cornish make sense of the both-sidism that's taken over so much of the press? What do we do, the public who depend on the free press, do? That's, what do you think about that? That's, that's an interesting, interesting question. Well, both-sidesism is a very specific critique, I think, that does come from 
a place of its own political bias, but it is the mm-hmm. idea that you present um, two or three sides of things as co-equals, mm-hmm. even if one or even if one of them may mm-hmm. be immoral or doesn't actually stand up to scrutiny, um, mm-hmm. and that you put them on an equal plane. And right. I do think that the Trump era really brought that into deep relief because it was very hard to be like, oh, well, we're not going to have the cabinet member of such and such on, even, you know, or we're going to like if the most one of the highest advisors gets on and uses the phrase alternative facts, it's it's Mm -hmm. like, do you ask an intern to come on? Like, who is the communication voice coming out of of the seat of power? I think it was very hard to figure out how to do that. And the public didn't love it, you know, especially on the left. Right. So what do you do? I mean, I think that there has been a sincere recalibration. You know, I do think that it is much more common for people to um, just immediately say, oh, this person isn't serious mm-hmm. or this this is not a serious conversation or this is a bad faith argument or mm-hmm. uh, I, I do think that that is far more aggressive than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And that that makes a big difference. I mean, these are yeah. active questions. Like, I don't have an answer for her that's going to satisfy. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you, when you think about that, when I think about who I want to interview, someone was, you know, Stephanie had Lauren Boebert and she did a long, like, this is why I had her because she's in the middle of this mess, not on the other stuff. I don't know how you can separate them, but I did see her do that. It was really, she did a good job of it for having, you know, Lauren yeah, Boebert. But- yeah, and listen, I do a podcast that is mm-hmm. absolutely Uh, vulnerable to the criticism of its platforming this or that, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're platforming these conservative activists without the other side. You're platforming sex workers without the other side. Like, you know, that Mm -hmm. was a conscious decision I made to be like, okay, well, what does it look like to create something where you hear an argument out all the way? How much work can I do as an interviewer to make the conversation feel fleshed out and balanced? You know, the show may not be the same format forever, but I think it's part of my own personal reckoning with some of the ideas that people are talking about when they talk about bias. Right. I have two things. I say I say what I think, like, so it's not hidden. So it's Absolutely. not as if I'm like trying to be, I'm fair. I'm like, I don't like you. You're nonsensical. And I'll also do what I damn well please. You know what I mean? That's how I say to people when they do the platforming thing at me, you shouldn't plan. I'm like, don't do it on your show. Fine, whatever. Do you have a show? No, you don't. I do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think I, I'm sort of like, I'll do who I damn well please and I'll do a good job. And if you don't like it, don't listen to it. And I think that's what I tend to do. And I do, yeah. I do think like, would I have Marjorie Taylor Greene on? Like, I, 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 both, right. I interviewed Piers Morgan recently and we both were like, she lies so much. How do you, how do you, you spend a lot of time batting pack lies at but the same the time past, i heard her would have speak and i was like well she's yeah. clearly intelligent she's clearly like a sharp political player even though she lies incessantly but go ahead sorry well that's probably key to being a sharp political player at this point <laughs> yeah, um, yeah yes no that's a very good question and i think each each journalist has to kind of make that decision for themselves like am i mm-hmm. best positioned to service this conversation in a way that's going to yeah. enlighten the audience and that is actually going to to um, elicit not just information, but understanding. And right. there's some interviews you would do that I wouldn't do. There's some interviews yeah. I probably would do that you might be like, eh, that's not for me. Um, right. And I think that's important to understand, too. Sometimes we look at our heroes as journalists, air quotes, mm-hmm. and then we're like, why are they doing that? Yeah, I get a lot of that. Who is there anyone who you wouldn't do, who you wouldn't interview? Can you think of someone? You know, I'm not a fan of the talking to a white supremacist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's something mm-hmm. that I want. In a way, I kind of want white interviewers to pick up that mantle and do mm-hmm. it in a way that their predecessors completely failed or, frankly, co-opted. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to sit down and talk with someone who doesn't believe me or my children should live freely. Yeah. Why? Yeah. That yeah. that conversation is a non is a literal non starter, but for mm-hmm. a white interviewer, I think yes, I want to hear you ask bluntly, why should we, why should we live with this privilege and not acknowledge mm-hmm. it? Like, what should mm-hmm. the you know what I mean? Like, what does it mean yeah. to talk about oh, reparations without spiraling mm-hmm. into some nonsense conversation? Um, yeah. Like, there are yeah. real things that I think, especially white Americans post the the awakening 
mm-hmm. are capable of dialoguing <laughs> about that they like couldn't, you know, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and like they should go do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there are yeah. some things that I feel like I can handle more sensitively than I hear some interviewers doing. Um, yeah. And that. I don't know. I mean, is there anything you'd like to do a lot more of where you where you may not agree with people? Oh, uh, oh, yeah, for sure. That's actually we're having a pitch meeting in two days. And that's for the Mm -hmm. staff. I've said, listen, I you guys are giving me a lot of things you kind of agree with. Yeah. And I I need you to go down the rabbit hole in some places and with some people that you don't necessarily understand. And again, yeah. I said to them, I gave the same example. I don't need a clan member. You know right. what I mean? Like I don't need right. to do any of that. Um right. but like there are some worlds we need to tap into and uh, and better understand and there are ways that we can bring context to the conversation. That's, like that's, that's our job. That's a really good way of putting it. Um here's another email from someone who doesn't share our interest in social media. I'll read it. Love the show, but please recognize that people who've never had any presence on social media do exist and for the most part we need happy, socially well-adjusted lives. I've never had Twitter, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, or an Instagram account. I'm an ER doctor and researcher. I love pop culture and fashion. My husband and I throw a lot of dinner parties. We have a fabulous group of friends and a large loving family. All of this to say is one can strive to live the best life and contribute meaningfully to society without social media. My dream is to impart the, this philosophy to my young children. I know they will only be happier people if they're able to live a, a social media free. Thanks for all your great work. Roseanne McElroy. Roseanne, come over for dinner at my house. I know. Well adjusted. I love it. That's a life. P.S. Rest assured, I engage in many other forms of procrastination. We do recognize that, Roseanne, and we wish we were the you. We wish we were you, correct? I don't think for journalists we need to pretend mm-hmm. that social media is a thing we need to abandon completely yeah. at all. Like, I, I I, think it's been beneficial to journalism f- to have this ruckus back and forth. Mm-hmm. It's beneficial mm-hmm. to see... Hmm. Ben Shapiro's dumb tweets. It's beneficial Mm -hmm. to know what's being said in the various echo chambers. I -hmm. think that there is value, though, to the broader public not living in social media in the ways that they do. Which they don't. Most people are like her. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, for the people who are those like weird power users, you know how you go on Mm -hmm. Facebook and there's someone who's posting 10 times a day and you're like, how? I I wish somehow I could reframe for people that you're doing free data entry for billionaires Mm -hmm. and you are the product. And it's not necessarily doing all the things you think it's doing. And the reason why I don't want to abandon it completely is because so many marginalized communities have benefited from it. You know, people like who are disabled, like people like Mm -hmm. that there's... You know, it's the I kind of joke the Arab Spring argument. Like every time we mm-hmm. talk about how terrible Twitter is, someone's like, oh, yeah, well, Arab Spring. And you just kind of be like, well, first of all, that didn't work out so great. So we need to be clear <laughs> that like there's difficult <laughs> things still happening Twitter, in those but, countries. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. But it's just the idea that like, yes, Black Lives Matter, Me Too, that political movements mm-hmm. are taking mm-hmm. place there and that that's important and significant. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other stuff that I'm not sure is so additive to one's life. And it's right. I agree. Totally OK to embrace yeah. that. Yes, I agree. We we think that's great. I do think it is a good news distribution. I think for this um, uh, this thing in Congress, it's much easier to get the news from a Twitter or a Facebook. Yeah. Than it also is for her, her, you, her kids may feel differently yeah. and their kids yeah. like you. This movement of quiet quitting and I don't like hustle mm-hmm. culture and I don't do this mm-hmm. and I want to be in a mm-hmm. union. Some of that is a rejection of the attention economy and mm-hmm. being online all the time yep. as a way of life. Yep. Um, yep. And that is like Gen Z's all over that. You know, they're yeah, just like I got to tell exhausted. you, my kids don't use social media at all. At all. Not even, they took them all off their thing. It's really interesting. They get it. The older sons, my my sons don't. I think they get it. Maybe girl, maybe teen girls are on it a little bit more, some of them. Yeah. Um, but not a, not interested in TikTok. Not and they like they list watch YouTube a little bit and yeah. Reddit and that's it. It's interesting. I don't know. And the three year old has yet to get a phone, so we'll wait for that oh one. Goodness. Anyway, I have a three year old too. Why didn't you do a segment of this show? It's like three year olds. What the hell? <laughs> Frozen. Audie, they like Frozen. They continue I, to like Frozen. That is really they're obsessed. And let me tell you, I. Because I'm a streaming household. How old is your How old are your kids? At three and five. Yeah, they don't really watch TV. They don't get no. to watch TV. But the profound oh. cultural reach of Disney mm-hmm. is so deep <laughs> and so insidious yes. that just by attending school, 
They now know the entire soundtrack of Frozen and Encanto. Encanto is there, but Frozen. Let me just have you say, have you like, heard your three year old sing Surface Pressure? I have, which is <laughs> I have many times, hundreds. That's literally of times, a song for like firstborn immigrant daughters. Like I uh-huh. heard that song and I like shed a tear. I was like, I know the truth. <laughs> and Disney uh, is in say, my house. Marvel's in my house, and even though they yeah. have not seen a single one of these films, period. Yep. Well, that, I, I applaud you, but I unfortunately have given in to the Frozen, whatever it is. No, they watch it stuff, is. but just like they haven't yeah. seen that stuff, but they know it all. Yeah. It's very weird. They know it all. They And also Taylor Swift. That's what I would say. Yep, the and they know did. how to use my device, right? Like they can it, get onto your pincher. phone. And... It's, the, it's the Frozen Taylor Swift pincher. My That's daughter was how... singing Antihero the other day. She's three years old. Oh, my old. God. <laughs> You know you're old when your kid shows you how to use your device? Because I didn't think I was very old. And then they were like, no, swipe this way. And I was like, oh, it's happened. (laughs) It just happened. That's it. Gray hairs come out now. Anyway, these are great questions. We like them. Uh, we've, we we really enjoy them. If you got a question of your own and you'd like answered, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit a question for the show or call 855-51-PIVOT. All right, Audie, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails. Support for the show comes from the Harvard Business Review. You know, there's this idea in business that some people are born to be leaders. You either have it or you don't. But leadership, like any skill, can and should be learned over time. Whether you've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder or are just starting out, you'll find valuable insights at Harvard Business Review. Harvard Business Review is a leading destination for smart management thinking. And on their website, hbr.org, subscriptions are just $10 a month, which gives you unlimited access to the same level of expertise. Things like case studies, newsletters, podcasts, articles written by some of the world's top minds. I use HBR in my research when I do articles or when I'm thinking about what to talk about on Pivot. I find them really interesting. I find them complete. I find them different. And you can find all kinds of industries covered. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at only $10 a month. What a bargain. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT right now to get 10% off your subscription. Again, save 10% off your HBR subscription. Go to hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter the promo code PIVOT. Okay, Audie, let's hear your wins and fails. I'm going to give the sole segment to you. Obviously, number one fails, still Kevin McCarthy. I can't help it. It's just the biggest Mm -hmm. first New Year fail. Um, Mm -hmm. That was, you know, for no reason. You know, wins. I'm actually not sure about wins. Who's winning right now? I mean, Joe Biden looks pretty comfortable. He's Mm -hmm. like a president who's passed a lot of legislation, He will have Mm -hmm. earned the legacy of being the vice president to the first black American and having a Mm -hmm. black American vice president of his own. Mm -hmm. He's just going to be in the history books in a bunch of different ways. And I think that people underestimated him at their own peril, especially Mm -hmm. Republicans. Mm -hmm. And he's now going to the border for the next day or two, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what Republicans said they wanted, but they can't capitalize on it because every single camera will be on Kevin McCarthy's pizza boxes. Yep. Um. Yeah. So not to be a political hack, but I this one is just too big not to comment on uh, in terms of wins and fails. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think Biden is always underestimated and kicking off the year. Yeah. I think yeah. him being in a limo with the uh, with McConnell and and Dewine and very successful. And everyone's yeah. like, well, that's the what aviators we want. were back. It was the full. Yeah. He felt the full good. Biden. Yeah, yeah, he felt good. He's looking good. He's feeling good. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I have a theory, and I'd like it to put it out on you. Years ago, Nancy Pelosi invited me to talk about tech in front of the Democratic uh, caucus, right? They were out at some hotel in Virginia, and they get together, and they, they whatever, they all do their thing. Yeah, they retreat. They retreat, right. I, so I went out, and I talked to them, and it was a good speech, and there was all these moderates, and then there were the left wings. It was really interesting. I took my son at the time. He was maybe 12 or 13 at the time. and. He came up to me and he goes, Mom, these people can't agree on anything. And I was like, really? He goes, they just argue with each other all the time. He was wandering around and listening to them, right? And I thought, you know what, Alice, is actually a really good thing. They know how to disagree together. And yeah. and I, he said it to Pelosi and 
she goes, and he goes, I can't believe you keep these people together. And she goes, but I do. And it was really, it was like a loud family. Like she's Italian, obviously, the loud Italian family. Italian and, and my from Baltimore. I, I always yeah. want people to remember that, that she's actually yes. a Baltimore politician. She's a Baltimore, <laughs> right. And I was like, they know how to disagree with each yeah. other. They And they, they're fine with it. It's a mess, but it's a, and I think that one of the things that Republicans did, having covered it very briefly when I was at the South Section of Washington Post, is they threw the best parties because they all fell into line. Like the Democratic parties were a mess, right? And they were always like all over the place. And I thought, if, if you're people that fall into line all the time, once you don't know how to disagree together, it's a real problem, right? Like you don't know how to get along when you're in disagreement. And that reminds, it reminds me of that. The Democrats what do I like know how about to disagree this argument that you're making mm-hmm. is for everyone listening, you're going to hear the exact thing that Kara is saying, only Republicans will say it in the middle of this debacle, right? Because they're trying to use that argument Mm -hmm. to put some sort of sheen on Mm -mm. this show, right? Like no, they're, they're disagreeing badly. They're disagreeing yeah, badly. Yeah, so they're going around they're being like, oh, democracy's messy. This is just what happens. And it's like, no, no, mm-hmm. this isn't actually how it works when you have a messy family mm-hmm. disagreement. This isn't yeah. actually, like, recalcitrance is not the most mm-hmm. significant or important part. So if, if I were you and you're at home watching and you're trying to figure out what's going on, imagine the relative at your Thanksgiving dinner who just won't stop. Mm-hmm. Right. And who just Mm -hmm. really at a certain point, you're like, oh, okay, can we eat? That's what's happening here. Uh, And it's not helpful. It's not healthy debate, which is always good. Anyway, Audie, thank you so much. That's the show. Uh, You can listen to more from Audie on the assignment every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday for more. I really appreciate it for you to come here. And I, I, I urge everyone to listen to your show. And I would love to have you back anytime. I loved it. I'm a huge fan of yours. Thank you. Scott Galloway is a brother in CNN Plus, mm-hmm. RIP. Mm-hmm. He's an alum. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a good time at CNN. Uh, he I heard. Have... I heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, whatever. Whatever. Poor Scott. He never gets a TV show. Anyway, with Scott <laughs> gone, I'm going to read us out. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ernie Enderdot engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. And again, Audie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.